Welcome to the Sourdough Podcast. We are your hosts, Jay and Ashley. We're coming to you from our log cabin studio, formerly known as our living room, on our farm here in western Montana. So what do you want to talk about? Why don't we talk about, this is a topic that we have discussed before, so perhaps we can have some good flow to it, and it's a topic in which we should be really confident in sharing, uh, but I was thinking that we could touch on how we got started. I was just thinking about the farmer stand and how they got started, so perhaps we can talk about the steps that led us to being where we are right now. Yeah. Being currently in pursuit of a sort of third business, that being starting this educational podcast platform. Yeah, it's just fun. In addition to running a cafe and farm store, which has a farm store, an in-house bakery, a restaurant, a grab-and-go department, and the farm being the third business. Yeah, I mean, we should probably start where we met. Yeah, let's I take it right back. Bishop, 2018. <laughs> <laughs> Both on long, lonely journeys yes. to uh, self-discovery. <laughs> yes. Ripping our fingers while climbing. It's a great way to learn about yourself. Absolutely. How hard can you can you hold on when your body is coming apart? Well, well, I mean, I was there with my friend Levi and a friend named Zach, and uh, it was with Mr. Dunlap. Is actually mm-hmm. this bus that I had spent a couple years converting into, uh, you know, the, the term is called a schoolie, <clears throat> and uh, it was pretty sweet actually. Uh, <laughs> there was like a full queen size bed and kitchen and shit, but uh, there was this play- place called the Pit. And it back a little bit in the day or back in the day, um, it was free, but then we had to pay a few bucks to, to stay there. But this is where a bunch of, of cheap climbers go to have access to places to, uh, shit and hang out and sleep. And then dispose of garbage, dispose of garbage, kind of, if it's not overflowing. Um, yeah. So why were you there? So I was on my spring break. I was in my first year teaching in a middle school up in British Columbia in the Okanagan and going through life changes of my own. (laughs) I just felt the need for a solo journey. So packed Floyd, my dog, (laughs) our dog now, and I (laughs) into my Xterra and uh, started on a trip south i had two weeks over my spring break period so i just thought i'd get away and go do some solo bouldering and take some time for myself and i made it as far as leavenworth in washington and decided to spend a couple nights there because i had never climbed there started climbing there and debated just spending my whole two weeks there (laughs) but something was pulling me back to bishop i hadn't been there since 2011 i think oh wow that was yeah. a long time ago yeah so seven and years yeah so seven years prior and despite the long drive ahead of me to get there i carried on anyway and yeah that was really my 
my being there was just for uh, some independence and solo time and a break from my career in teaching and a, a stressful lifestyle that I was living at that point in time. And I was on a very, very independent <laughs> adventure. I was yes. not looking to meet anyone. Um, I wasn't really looking to climb with a lot of people or find friends, let alone a husband. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I think it was my second day there or I, I arrived in Bishop, woke up the next morning and it was pouring rain. Yep. Uh, and it was super disheartening because I had driven 22 hours to get there and I still went out. I attempted to boulder by myself and I found one boulder problem in particular that was kind of sheltered underneath a little cave. And so I was able to try the first few moves of it and it was the hardest grade I had ever tried to boulder, which was a V7. And, uh, I made a little bit of progress up until the point where the rock was no longer under cover and and <laughs> um, microphone difficulties yeah and anyway the rock was wet and there <laughs> uh, really threw me off <laughs> um so i i couldn't no longer climb it uh so i went and moped in my xterra and observed the super cool school bus up on the hillside camping above me I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if the people <laughs> staying in there are, are super cool or if they're just hipsters uh, and carried on my way. And uh, upon a series of spontaneous encounters, Jay and I met. Well, that that morning <clears throat> when it was really raining out, I had just arrived in the bus and I went over this pass um, over the, the White Mountains of uh the eastern side of the Sierras. It's kind of a, another mountain range. Um, Bishop is in between the things called the White Mountains and uh, uh, the Sierras there. And it's this pass that goes up to what, like, I think it's probably like, remember when we did that one? It was probably mm -hmm. 9,000 plus feet. Yeah. And uh, we were, I was coming from uh, Moe's Valley, which is in, in um, uh, oh my gosh, what's that city called again? Oh, in I don't southwest know. Southwest corner Utah? of Utah. I can't remember. Where Moe's is gone oh my god what is that fucking place called well either way it, it's this uh drive that takes you kind of right around st. george thank you jesus <laughs> st george it takes you around uh las vegas and then you go up over this pass and it's really rural out there people don't between las vegas and bishop there's there aren't really any towns these towns are really tiny and uh the bus <laughs> the bus certainly struggled to go up this uh essentially what turned into a single lane pass way up over the the white mountains and and the grade going down was was crazy steep and uh i was it was in first gear but even still i had to pump the brakes and it got to a point where the brakes started smoking and i could smell the burning brake pads and it got when when brake pads get really hot the friction it decreases and and you're braking power you, it loses your braking power so i was careening down this <laughs> this pass and just had enough uh friction to stop the bus to let those pads cool meanwhile uh unbeknownst to me but pretty soon figured out that the alternator had also f broken out and so my my lights were starting to get more dim and it was just a really tumultuous time really that night i can still remember almost every second of it and uh 
Yeah, so I got in at what, 1 a.m. That, that morning and just passed out. And one of the first things I did in the morning was take my dog on a walk. And it was pouring out and I was just mopey and Loki was barking incessantly. Loki is, is my dog now, ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a Bal- Belgian Malinois pit bull terrier cross. And uh, when she was younger, she was certainly did not like any dogs uh, nor any humans. <laughs> and uh, so I was walking by this it's pretty hot chick with this uh what looked like a kind of like a husky or whatever and uh didn't realize that she was also going to become my wife (laughs) yeah and upon it's always a fun story to share upon that first glance uh from afar i saw jay and his dog and i was like oh cool he's handsome his dog looks pretty sweet and then the closer floyd and i got to them the more insane his dog became barking <laughs> he's like holding her trying to like hold her back and so yelling i put her. yeah yelling at her so i put floyd on his leash and just kind of walked by and smiled and said hey and carried on and i walked away being like fuck that guy's hot but his dog's fucking crazy <laughs> I still remember that moment. Like yeah. it's, it's just so vivid in my <laughs> in mind. The, in the sagebrush of the hillside in the dusty old pit. Oh, that place. Um, special memories. Yeah. And then I think shortly after that, uh, is a couple days later, I was climbing with uh, some people I had met from Oregon and crossed paths again. Uh, and I, I really only recognized and or noticed him because of the dog Mm -hmm. (laughs) and having to yet again pull Floyd aside because I was worried at his dog barking at us uh and so we quickly crossed paths I was heading off where was was that in the in the buttermilk I was heading off to High Plains Drifter Mm -hmm. and you were heading back from that direction yeah and so still no official introduction at that point in time no I think it was finally the day after that the rocks had dried out a bit, so I returned to my project, the one that I had tried on my first rainy day there on my own, um, and I was determined. I had no intention of leaving that boulder until <laughs> I finished that thing, and many, many people came and went uh, throughout that morning, and I remained because I hadn't finished it, and there were a lot of people that I could have cared less to spend time with uh climbing at that boulder and then all of a sudden this group of three goofy fellas came strolling up wearing tight leggings that were very colorful and very revealing and uh uh, cracked a beer and started chatting with me and my first instinct was sweet these guys must be from canada they're super (laughs) cool (laughs) Uh, I found out shortly after that, no, they were not, um, but that they were from a little town in Montana. Uh, And so we started chit-chatting and um, I mean... Well, we started to crack some cores. Started cracking some cores and... Yeah, we all started to to start to... The term is session a boulder. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, it was... It's hard. That's a hard problem for me I, I still haven't gotten it Mm-mm. no but you hadn't you hadn't climbed anything above like a v4 up until yeah. that point right yeah. so you went from v4 to v7 yeah that day um yeah we won't get into details of that right, that border, right. that's but a boring part of the story if you're a non-climber is. but yeah yeah anyway so we spent probably an hour or two working on that boulder problem together and uh um 
I think attraction had sent set in. It had for sure. <laughs> uh, and so when Jay and his crew went to carry on to New Boulder once they were bored of where we were at, uh, his friend Levi was trying really hard to coax me to come along, but me being my stubborn self and being set on my intention for that day, uh, I said, no, no, I'm going to stay here. I really want to do this climb. And they carried on their way. Um, and it was as, as they went to go leave, um, Jay at that time, only just met him, but he was like, yeah, yeah, I have my dog here too. You can go say hi. She's over there. And I walked over <laughs> to go see his dog and I was like, oh, it's this dog. Oh, that's the guy. And I had this moment of connection realizing that he was the one that I had kept crossing, that I had continued crossing paths with, uh, and that we had finally officially met. And, uh, I, I definitely had like a little sense of, uh, urge to follow them wherever they were heading to climb next, but held strong to what I wanted to do. And I stayed and I did finish that boulder problem, but I found in that moment, I was so excited to share it with someone that I was like, well, those guys are super sweet. I'm going to go find them. And, uh, maybe that cute guy will be really excited with me that I finished the climb. <laughs> um, and so I went to go find them. They weren't where they were or where they had said they were going to be. So I was like, oh, well carry on. And I went back to, um, back to my camp for the night. And I think I had mentioned to you guys where I was thinking about climbing the next day. And sure enough, there we are. <laughs> they showed up. With a I fresh was, haircut. Uh, yeah, I was a very, very early morning climber. I go out by myself usually around 7 a.m. So I know it was much later that morning that they had also um, strolled in. Um, and yeah, I think we spent the day kind of climbing together. I sort of kept sneaking off to go climb on my climb on my own and maintain my independent mindset and I think after a day climbing together and finally being convinced by Jay's friend to come join them for dinner one night um I guess the rest became history <laughs> certainly yeah uh, I mean there was many opportunities for our paths just to you know just to separate and, and really never see each other again I mean, I knew your first name, but that's about it. I mean, you were a teacher at the time, so I couldn't even find you really on Instagram or Facebook. <laughs> well, well, so you had borrowed my climbing book. And inside my climbing book, inside all my books, I always write my first last name and my phone number. And you had found, because I remember um, I went into town at the phone. At the time, I was living in Canada, so I didn't have any sort of phone service or internet in the U.S. So I went into town, got some Wi-Fi, and I saw that you had added me on Facebook. Oh, I was like, well, that's interesting, because he definitely doesn't know my last name. How did he find me? <laughs> and so I asked you, I don't know if you recall I that. And you're this. like, oh, I saw your last name in your climbing book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just scheming in the background. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. There were many opportunities that we could have could have gone nowhere yeah it could I have mean, been as simple as exchanging phone numbers before we parted ways and never having spoken again well and when you know you were leaving you had to you had to go back to canada because you were teaching and oh yeah and uh you, what you got like an hour and a half or an hour outside of bishop not even not yeah, even like yeah and your check, minutes maybe. check engine light came on and you're like well this is a great excuse <laughs> i'll just <laughs> totally. go back and see that dude yeah and uh it turned it up it ended up being that I had also left my wallet in my friend's car and he was heading down to, uh, to, um, in Southern California into, uh, um, what's that climbing place? We've never been to it, but it's near Palm Springs, uh, Joshua tree. Ah, yeah. yeah. And so my wallet with my license and my credit card and mm -hmm. literally everything was in my friend's car 
like seven hours away. And so I was, I was alone at this point with, uh, with the bus and had to drive 1700 miles back to Montana. Um, and so you came back and we hung out again that night. And was it at that point I realized that I didn't have my wallet? It must've been either way. Yeah. But you, you spent the day just (laughs) hanging out with me with dealing with this problem. And I think I actually remember that you were not taken back, but you were uh, appreciative of the way I dealt with that problem. Like I didn't get super irritated or, or do you remember when you were saying that? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I remember just being like, wow, he's handling this super well, considering his wallet is hundreds of miles away and he has no money to (laughs) put gas in his vehicle to get home. (laughs) Yeah. I had to figure out some way to get, those credit cards onto my phone which yeah. was a whole spiel and there was only certain gas stations that even accepted that on the route back and yeah it was wild yeah was i think i ride. had offered to take cash out to give you money to help you get home <laughs> and you're like wow this girl's kind of crazy right <laughs> <laughs> who does that <laughs> and uh yeah so i mean that's kind of where we met and the uh, uh the background of how we got to where well, I mean, that's not all of it. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the start of it, really. And then we parted ways. I had to go back to teaching. You were carrying on climbing trip for a bit and then coming home. Yep. And I think we talked nearly every day after mm-hmm. parting ways. And by mid the f- midweek, the following week, um, I mustered up the courage to say that I wanted to see you again to hang out to see if there was really something there and so we started making plans to have a little long weekend together and met halfway in between in a tiny little mountain town called Chewila in Washington mm-hmm. um northeast where, corner of the state yeah yeah where we stayed in your bus again um, nearly chopped my finger off yeah at, what was the ski hill 49 49 north 49 north yeah um slush skiing yeah it was was, fun though it was fun skiing but terrible conditions we had a bizarre night partying on another bunch of other school buses there were two other school buses there um and (laughs) yeah i guess that kind of sealed the deal did for me in terms of knowing that we wanted to pursue something together (laughs) despite being uh many miles and a country border apart uh, but I do remember on that trip, that's when we first really started to dive into our desires, visions, and dreams for what our we future. want our lives to look like, what we want our future to be. And a lot of that was the idea of having gardens and farms and farms. maybe or a farm, <laughs> farm fields. No, no, just one. Um, and I think that's where for me, I started to feel a really strong connection Absolutely. because I was interacting with a person that I could envision spending my life with, with enough alignment and vision that we could actually make it happen and not just talk about it. Right. Yeah. Taking action. Um, and so, yeah, we, we got mm-hmm. to where we are today. I mean, COVID happened. We were still separated for many months and uh, we got married in 2020 and you officially moved down here in in late 2020 and started our lives together building this farm and and uh that's the next year you started to bake right for the farmers market it was actually that that year year? so i had to finish out my year teaching 
And right. because of the border closures, I wasn't able to drive in my vehicle over the border to come to the U.S., but I could fly. So I packed up as gotta make that money as much as I could in my suitcase, um, knowing that I was coming to spend at least a month and a half here. Um, I did have a return ticket booked at that time, and I was studying, doing my online nutrition degree. So I put as many textbooks in my suitcase as I could without going over the weight capacity, and flew down. And then I think it was like three weeks in, my f- return flight was canceled and we decided we were going to elope. <laughs> and so it ended up being that I was just going to stay and uh, you had already started the farm and I agreed to become part of that while I studied. But during that first farmer's market year was when I started baking mm-hmm. because as a small farm, We weren't exactly the most visible to the shoppers at the market. No, it's hard to compete with the already established farms. Jay didn't have a huge quantity of produce available, and we were kind of tucked away in a weird area of the market where we didn't necessarily get a lot of foot traffic. And so Jay suggested to me, well, why don't you bring some loaves of sourdough bread, bring some sourdough bagels, I'm certain they'll sell those first bagels (laughs) me being the skeptic that I am I was like what nobody's gonna buy this like I'm just teaching myself how to bake sourdough products like why would anyone buy this so I think I made maybe eight loaves for the first farmer's market couple dozen bagels gave out some samples which hindsight probably shouldn't have done during COVID but whatever (laughs) um and they sold so fast and I was like what on earth there's actually a demand for this and so that was kind of the catalyst to really start to think about providing that product for the community and we literally started from nothing we had one ceramic mixing bowl uh, like a quarter size baking pan that I'm pretty sure came out of a toaster oven and a spatula (laughs) and that's really all that we had to get me started and so it was quite a disastrous mission to reach a point of being able to produce enough product to try to meet the demand that we were finding at the farmer's market and I remember my very first order of supplies was I think 12 large mixing bowls and like three baking trays with some silicone mats and that was really scary to do because it was like a hundred dollars or something and at that time that seemed really steep when uh, I was living here as an immigrant waiting for my green card to go through I wasn't allowed to work and so this kind of baking hobby ended up being able like it was my way to contribute to our vision and mission without actually working really yeah essentially (laughs) um And so I quickly grew from making the four to eight loaves to by the end of that first season, I was making up to 50 loaves of sourdough and 12 dozen bagels and just doing it from home, uh, cottage license style with racks out on the counters to cool all the products. And uh, well, you could only bake two loaves at a time. Yes. So this, you know, so that's 25 cycles that you were doing on those Fridays and it took all day so all i was day. out there in the morning 
bright and early starting the harvest. And by the time I was done harvest, you were still baking mm-hmm. by like four or five, six p.m. I would reach a point in the day because I came up with a system in which I could kind of bake four loaves at a time if I transferred them from the Dutch ovens after an initial cycle. And so in my 20 minute intervals that I had on the timer, I'd pop down to the field to try to help for 20 minutes with harvesting or washing or packing or whatever I could do to try to help with the farm side of things also. Um, And so we really quickly realized by the end of the 2020 season that there was a real market and demand for organic sourdough products. Right. Yeah. I mean, we weren't officially certified organic at the time, nor are we right now, but we only use organic flour. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, not for the bakery. Yeah, certainly for our our produce. But um, speaking of Dutch ovens, though, we are cooking right now, and that's about to burn. So we're gonna pause. Sounds good to yeah, me. And we'll catch catch up with everybody in a minute. All right, we're back. Mm-hmm. What were we talking about? So. Um, I was just closing up on the recap of the first year of both the farm, the farmer's market and bringing that sourdough baking to market and quickly realizing the gap in the sourdough market and the demand that was there and how we had really reached capacity in our home kitchen, um, for our production. And so we were at a point in which we had to decide if, it was kind of one of two choices. We could totally cut out the baking and I could pursue a career in nutrition and or go back to teaching and or return to geology and or strictly work on the farm. Or if we wanted to dive in deeper to the world of sourdough baking and continue to fill that void and expand within that market. Yeah, it was a big decision to make and... I think one of the main things for me with looking back on how we got started with just the farmer's market, I mean, it was a really great, great way to be a new young business that doesn't really quite know the market, doesn't really know exactly how to do everything, doesn't really know much at all, but just be able to just start presenting stuff to the community and have them buy it or not buy it and give us feedback. And so it's a great way to get into a certain industry or even as just a little side hustle. I mean, farming isn't exactly quite like a side hustle, but uh, it's a great way to enter into uh, a market without, you know, it's dipping your toes in a little bit. We could have at the end of that season uh, just stopped, right? Like we been like, well, that was fun. Baking was fun, but you know, not for me, mm-hmm. but we saw the real op- business opportunity and, and Ashley and I are our business people. We, we have that, that mindset. So, um, I don't know for anybody who wants to start like that it's a great way to get into it without investing a hundred or five hundred thousand dollars into a new facility Mm -hmm. you think you're going to be the cream of the crop if you have so much money you can invest into it without knowing shit about the industry it's like yeah that is a way to do it but you might be missing out on some really key parts um, of your business development that money can't buy yeah totally and especially when it it, when it comes to a trade and or something that you can sell and present to the public through a farmer's market. That is, it's a very direct to consumer model. People come to the farmer's market because they want to support local. They want local goods, local food, and um, local crafts. And so not even just thinking about food strictly. If you have an idea for 
any sort of business in which you could bring it to a farmer's market, it is such a good introduction into the community and a really small cost up front for the year's fee yeah, to, to have a if, booth. If, if this is needed. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you bring, I don't know, um, hair dye, local hair dye to the farmer's market and, and not a single person buys it, it might not be a good business idea, mm-hmm. at least in that local uh, community, right? Absolutely. So it is a really great way to get into it. So yeah, all right. So we are into our second year or technically well, yeah. third year farming. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Or no, second year farming 2021 yeah and i was just going to quickly fill in that gap in between there too so farmers market ended that first year end of october we stuck it out to the bitter end (laughs) because we had to (laughs) financially we're Mm -hmm. like we've got to keep getting our name out there and keep bringing in as much money as we can for all this energy we've put into this food production but by the time november rolled around although we still had a greenhouse full well, not full. No. We had a fair bit of produce left in our greenhouse. We were just ready. We were done. We, we were, were done. done. It had been a really hard year for us. And uh, we decided to head south. Yep. So we um, packed up the camper and decided we would take a month, couple months. Two months. Two months. Eight weeks. Yep. To go take some time to refresh our minds and our bodies and do something we love doing. Uh, before cracking back down on farm season mm. number two, that being 2021. Yeah, that was my, I think that was my favorite trip I've ever done. Was that Owens River? Well, it was Owens River. Fleas. It was Cochise. It was Fleas. <laughs> <laughs> it was renting a hotel. <laughs> um, it was Memories. Uh, New Mexico and Box Canyon where the winds were hounding for days and days. Right. And then it on to Austin, Texas. It was the, um, um, what is it, the Ogden Mountains? Remember that mountain mm-hmm. range? Oregon. 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 Yeah. yeah. Oregon, not Oregon, like the state, <laughs> like the like the thing inside you, Oregon. <laughs> Mountains, it's this incredible uh, granite small mountain range that's in, um, what is that? Is that in southern New Mexico? It was. I think was. so. It's right near, kind of near Alamogordo um white sands area yeah 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 that's right that was that's right sands and uh it's such an incredible place holy smokes if you ever have a chance to get out there and there's really amazing camping there for like what five bucks a night oh yeah super cheap it was uh, yeah and the the climbing might leave something to be desired but it was worth it for the views absolutely and there's a missile range right near there so at night you can actually (laughs) You can sometimes was that Oregon or yeah it was it was on the yeah, other that side was at Oregon Mountain yeah you can watch some uh, artillery shells hitting the side of a mountain and you're like Ugh, maybe we should move <laughs> but so yeah it was beginning of 2021 and COVID's still a thing and what was our mission for that year really we had the expansion of Field Two yeah yeah so building a second field was a high priority so that we could expand production because we realized after that first year. We needed to be able to grow more food if we wanted farming to be a viable career. Yeah. Um, there's only so much you can do with a, what, how big's that first plot <laughs> or first, um, first field? field? Well, it's, it was 10,000 square feet. So we were, okay. we were growing on a quarter acre yeah. for our first year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was great. It was great. Yeah. Great yeah. way to get started. But we realized with being the ambitious people we are, uh, that we had to expand to reach our goals of 
producing more food for more people, being able to expand our CSA program. Our first year in Making 2020, we, uh, we had a 10 person CSA. Yep. Uh, in and Missoula. so for 20, yeah, in Missoula, yep. reason being we honestly couldn't find the market here. Nope. We didn't know how to market ourselves well enough or find the people that wanted to buy. No one knew who we were. And they're like, I'm not giving you $400. I don't know you. Right. Um, and so kind of through friends, family, a little marketing, a little luck, a little luck. We yeah. found enough people in Missoula uh, to do a designated pickup for a bunch of really sweet ladies uh, <laughs> that lived in an apartment complex nearby. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we had 10 people. Most well, half of them were friends. Half they of them were. were strangers. So it was yeah. great. It was a great mm -hmm. start to the year. Um, but our 2021 goal was to double that. So we wanted to be able to offer and fill 20 CSAs. Yeah. I think we were close that, that I year. Think I think we it was were. Like 18 yeah. or 19. And we changed our deliveries yep. to only be in the Bitterroot Valley. So we yeah. did a delivery to Florence. We did a pickup at our farm in Stevensville and a delivery to Jesse's Wine and Goods in Hamilton. Yeah. And those are our three locations for the share that year. Yeah. What did we learn from that? Having three different pickup locations being such a small farm? It was madness. With only having two of us <laughs> to plant the food, harvest the food, wash it, wash the food, pack the food, protect it, and deliver the food. Uh, we quickly got stretched very thin. We did. And, and it was a mistake. It was. It was. It was too much. It, wa it wasn't worth the money we made in the extra sales delivering to Florence. No. Um, and I don't know how much more we want to touch on for the 2021 year, but it did lead us to our 2022 year, so last season, deciding that we were only going to have two pickups, that exactly. being at our cafe yep. and the farmer's market so streamlining that process a bit to convenient locations where we already have to be at that time anyway yeah and that was honestly one of the um one of the main decisions on starting the sourdough in a centralized location mm -hmm. is is because it makes it more efficient for the producers and it makes it if it's there is centralized locations um, it allows us to drive maybe five, 10 minutes down the road and be able to deliver there once a week for the, both the CSA, for the back of house and for the farm store. So we weren't spending, you know, six hours delivering anymore. We were spending an hour delivering and that saves a lot of time on the farm. When you have five extra hours a week to allocate to, towards other stuff, you're going to generate more revenue. And so that's, yeah, that's a definitely one of the main reasons why we started, uh, the sourdough cafe. I mean, there was many other reasons. Um, another reason is why is that Ashley is such a, a great baker and we did not have the capacity for what the market demanded to produce at our home base. Plus, you know, having a commercial, an actual certified commercial kitchen at our disposal allows us to enter into many more business opportunities such as, uh, such as, um, developing value-added products that are made from local goods that we can um, sell for a higher price because there's added labor. Um, but when we vertically integrate ourselves with the farm and then the cafe, it allows us actually to have a, a higher gross profit when it comes to um, sell the sale of these goods. Well, I think this is a good opportunity to take a step back into the origin story of our cafe 
back into the summer of 2021. Um, we kind of flew right, flew right by this <laughs> really, really, I guess, well, at least to us, interesting story of how we came to be with our cafe and farm store. We've been focused on the development of the farm up to this point in the recording of our story. And so I, I do think it would be advantageous to share that story with our listeners of um, us getting, getting to place. where we are, acquiring, acquiring the property. And so I guess it was late July, summer of 2021, and we were coming up on our, our own one-year wedding anniversary and oh right yeah yeah, yeah one yeah. year one 2021. year <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh preparing to go f to get away from the farm for one night that was our goal that summer one night away from the farm we can do it we so we had planned it. an overnight trip on the Bitterroot river uh for some s the following weekend i think um but anyway take it take it a little step back and we had driven by this piece of real estate downtown Stevensville a few times, a few times. two, three times observed it was for sale. Yeah. It had been in, uh, for sale for a couple months mm -hmm. at that point. And uh, I just remember feeling like I, I had only been living here for about a year at that point in time. And I remember feeling a little bit of intrigue by seeing it up for sale because mm -hmm. I had observed in the year I had been living here that there was maybe a bakery there, maybe a caterer. Like it just, it we couldn't really tell what was going on there, but sometimes they were open, sometimes they weren't. And so I knew that there was something going on there food related. And mm -hmm. then Jay, you had told me that previous to whoever was there at that time, there was a burrito shop that was great. Yep. Back in the day, Mission Bistro was in this place, and it just seemed to be like this little hub where restaurants got started. I almost call it like a little food incubator, mm -hmm. like a little food startup incubator. And yeah, Mission Bistro got started there, and now they're a mainstay in, in downtown Stevensville. They've been around, I think, for over a decade now. Oh, at um, least, Serving yeah. local food for, um, for dinner and brunch on Sundays. Um, but yeah. So it was like, what, like late July, mm -hmm. I think we looked at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so I guess after driving by it multiple times and just like kind of fantasizing like, ooh, I wonder what the inside's like these days. What could we do with that space? Gosh, it'd be nice to have a place we could sell our vegetables right downtown. We finally reached a point where we're like, screw it. What's the harm in just going to look? Yeah. There's no harm in that. No harm in that. No money in that. It's just taking a view. Right. Seeing where the visions lead. Yeah. And so we took a look at it. And then afterwards, that, that evening, we were we spent a few hours conversing about the, the idea of, of what that place could be and the opportunity that we could have if we decided to take this over. And mm -hmm. we're like, well, I don't know. I mean, no harm, no foul. We looked at it. We yeah. haven't put any money yeah. down. There's we, no earnest payment. We could certainly see the potential. And uh, like as soon as you walk in it, there's just so much charm because it is a hundred plus year old house plus year old house and it has a lot of those intricacies and quirks of an old house and i fell in love with that immediately yeah and then it has this uh kind of more modern commercial kitchen and mm -hmm. for me 
having <laughs> been doing the baking out of our home for a farmer's market season and a half, I was like, gosh, yeah, that would be really nice to have a real space to store all my ingredients and sprawl We could have out. bun pan racks. Yeah, we could have bakery <laughs> racks or two whole ovens to cook the bread in. I could see some potential in this place. Mm-hmm. So we looked at it and then that night we slept on it. And then the next day, I think we were going on this float. And I believe it was that morning where our real estate agent called us up and was like, hey, there's another offer on the table and you need to put an offer within the next 24 hours if you want a chance at getting this place. And so we got to a point where there was a crossroads in our lives. There was on one side, we could just continue down the road of just owning this farm and who knows what that that uh, that path could have led us to. And then on the other hand, we could just dive full in on opening up a centralized location where we can try and create this local food mm-hmm. hub, try and develop a more robust local food um, food industry. And we had 24 hours to decide. Yeah. I don't think we even had a full vision in mind at that point in time. No, probably not. But I do remember just like, I, I think we maybe we had till the next morning to make a decision, yeah. but we... I think we went on our float, spent some time just thinking about what it could be. And I just remember the specific point looking at each other and being like, are you in? I'm in. Are I'm you in? in? I'm in. If you're in, are you in? Yeah, I'm why not? In. <laughs> and then being like, okay. I guess we're doing, we this. doing this. Let's put an I, offer on I the table. I guess we're buying a place that we're going to turn into something something a a restaurant or cafe or farm store or all of the above and we didn't even like we didn't know we didn't have a business plan in place we didn't have like the logistics of how to start a restaurant how to start a restaurant the design the layout if we needed engineers or whatever. whatever we had no idea but I think we both had this like gut instinct mm-hmm. to a sense in which we're like, okay, if we're both feeling this and we're both committing to this crazy thing that we have no idea about, mm-hmm. it's probably worth investigating. What's interesting is that back when I was in my very early 20s, 21, 22 years old, I you know, had this notepad where I would just take notes and... and um, script my thoughts and one of my thoughts was to start a farm with a local uh cafe and farm store that was in a central location and it would help me embed myself into community so i could have a better social life and interact with more people and more differing ideas and just have a place because at the time i was i did not have necessarily as much of a community as i do today and you apparently had a very similar vision way back in the day. It was, yeah, it was yeah, a little yeah. different. Certainly but some parallels. Like my vision, so <laughs> like from the age of 14, I guess, I started working in coffee shops. Um, and I just, I, I had a real love for the community that those sorts of establishments created like having your regular customers come in and enjoying a cup of coffee and a treat but I always had this more like nature connected perspective and so my idea and I have my sketchbook and notebook from when I was probably 15 years old maybe 16 
um, in which I like came up with this concept for I want to call it the holistic cafe. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just the the main vision I had was creating this space around nourishing food coffee tea but with like a small garden right there like right outside the door you could walk out and literally look at the flowers and herbs that were being grown for your tea Mm -hmm. and that was like that was the main concept of my vision I never imagined it to be like a full breakfast lunch restaurant but more just like gosh looking at now I don't know how I would have ever made money but (laughs) (laughs) but it was this beautiful concept in my mind where it was very like rustic and brought gardening and growth and life into what was being served and I always had this interest in nutrition or becoming a naturopath and so I just envisioned it as this place where I'd probably be consulting out of but then it was also like a small cafe coffee shop kind of thing at the same time with a small garden outside just growing enough to like serve the food and the tea to the people that were coming in there so anyway so within 24 hours there was a culmination of all of our history coming together with both of these independent visions with also a, a farm that was actually realized and we had to make a decision and we didn't know what was going to happen if we were even going to have our offer accepted mm-hmm. but sure enough it was and really quickly we all of a sudden had a closing date set up and we had the insurance and we had the earnest payment down payment inspection inspection and we found some issues with the the the, the house that we had to remediate and and it was a whole debacle and, and it got to mm-hmm. a point towards the end where we didn't even know if we were actually gonna acquire this place because mm-hmm. we had a yeah, there was yeah, a lot it was of like rent- a month into the process of having had our offer accepted and being like, "Woo, we own this place now, but not, but not quite. But not quite. And it was like, you know, a little issue after a little issue. Um, but we finally acquired it mm-hmm. in early September of 2021. Yep, September 3rd. Keys were in our hands and we <sighs> took a bottle of champagne and a loaf of sourdough bread and a blanket and walked into this very, very... <laughs> empty building (laughs) and sat on the floor and ate some sourdough bread and drank some champagne and went holy shit what are we about to do (laughs) yeah even though we were intoxicating ourselves it was a bit of a sobering sobering experience we're like like okay like sure we want to do this but now the real work begins and and that little bit of like do we want to do this all of a sudden this feels really real like it was only a month ago month and a few days that we were like looking at this place for the first time it all came together really fast and it wasn't like one of those prolonged closings where you have time to transition it was just like bam 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 okay this place is yours here are the keys (laughs) yeah shit (laughs) yeah and so talk is cheap and and People talk about doing stuff all the time, but until you actually take that step forward down that journey or down that path is the time where you really start to realize how much work anything mm-hmm. really requires, especially yeah. opening up a restaurant mm-hmm. and especially not having experience opening a restaurant or yeah. even managing a restaurant. Yeah. I d- I've never had any management experience. And I mean, I don't, have you had any no, at that time? No, not really. Yeah, not really. No, so, no. so 
that winter or that fall and winter, you know, farmer's market ended in late October. And then we started to. Oh, and I mean, to even take a little step back from there, like this wasn't just like another thing we were going to slowly transition into. Like I, I think it was like August 26th. I was scheduled or 27th, 28th, somewhere at the end of August. I had to write my board exam to become a nutritionist. That's right. And so it was like that on top of it, I had made a quick trip home to Canada to finally go get my possessions (laughs) and my truck (laughs) and my camper, everything I'd left behind when I came here during COVID and wasn't able to go home to obtain. Yeah. That was your first trip back. That was my first trip back since I had immigrated here Mm -hmm. in June of 2020. Uh, And then to take on this whole new endeavor um in purchasing the future cafe uh but i immediately started baking in there for the trial trialing trialing yeah (laughs) the first you guys should have seen the first loaf that she did so we don't actually have like steam injection ovens in there tears were shed tears were definitely (laughs) shed and we have these large-scale commercial hobart um convection ovens with nuts Blodgett, but yeah Blodgett, yeah, thank yeah. you yeah <laughs> Blodgett, um convection ovens with no steam and so for any bakers out there that understand how to actually bake sourdough bread or even um, yeasted bread having some steam in there definitely helps and yeah. so the first one was exploding at the side was a <sighs> hockey puck was like it looked like amoebas were coming out of that <laughs> oven it was so <laughs> it was quite interesting and so you started baking actually in those ovens or in the cafe mm-hmm. for the remainder couple months of farmer's market. Yep, yep. And then once farmer's market ended, like we had a mortgage to pay. We mm-hmm. had bills to pay and the farm wasn't going to be supporting our new venture. And so mm-hmm. we had some tough conversations about how to uh, um, create enough revenue to mm-hmm. cover at least the cost until we got started. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, yeah. I mean, ha- I didn't even want to be a baker. No. No, no. I mean, we we had that conversation, too. I was like, but I don't want to bake. But there's money in baking. But this is like what we're coming around. Like this, this is where the business is coming from. It's this idea of the bakery, the farm store, all of it coming together. And I just like was exhausted, as was Jay. And we both wanted downtime. But we just knew we couldn't like we had to do something to provide revenue for the winter to pay the bills, both for our personal home (laughs) at the farm, but also this new mortgage we had acquired. Yeah. And so came the development of our wholesale bakery. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so it was nearing the end of the farmer's market season. And... I guess we'd had those conversations about how we'll make it through the winter. And uh, I started doing my least favorite thing in the entire world, which is cold calling people and trying to sell them on buying this amazing bread. <laughs> Little did I know that it was puckering at the side when we were trying to bake it. Yeah. But yeah, so we, we had these conversations where we you know, we had to pay the bills. So we had to start wholesale baking. We had to start developing our clientele and had to start outreach. And that's, you know, when you're a small business and people still don't really know who you are. Like, yeah, we had Mm -hmm. our supporters at the farmer's market, but people in Missoula had no idea who we were. People even Mm -hmm. in Stevensville and a lot of the Bitterroot didn't know who we were. 
And so we had to start actually getting our name out. And one of the great ways to do that is through wholesale if you can manage it. It's like, yeah, you don't get as much money for your product because you're trying to make, um, you're trying to price your wholesale products in a way that it won't be an exorbitant cost to the consumer down the road when it right. actually is sold yeah. at retail yeah. at these, some of these establishments. So, yeah. And your customer that's buying it also needs to make money on redistributing your product. Exactly. Yeah. So pretty quickly, we had to start uh, diversifying our, our product line. And so we started, um, I forget exactly when we started making sourdough English muffins, but pretty quickly we had baguettes for sale. We had sandwich breads. We had um, rustic sourdough bowls. We had um, our bagel line. Mm-hmm. And we started advertising. English or, muffins. Yeah, I think I just said that. Yeah. Okay. But uh, we so we started uh, advertising and getting labels printed and labels aren't working properly and the printer is failing and giving out free samples yeah. driving up and down the valley to give free food to try to convince people to buy it to mm-hmm. sell it to their customers but pretty quickly we i think we had eight to ten clients within yeah. a couple months the product sold itself to be perfectly it honest it, it actually really wasn't did. as hard the hardest part was just being like, hey, please listen to me. Please try my product. I swear, it's amazing. Yeah, well, once I tasted it. But the hardest part is actually producing a consistent yes, product absolutely. over time. In equ- in a commercial kitchen that's new to you with equipment that you're not comfortable using. Yeah. <laughs> and so within a few months, all of a sudden we were doing, I don't know, it was probably like close to 2000 a week in, oh, yeah, in yeah, wholesale. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And... One of the reasons we were doing this is we had to actually start making profit mm-hmm. for money that we're going to then reinvest into our cafe, yeah. reinvest into tearing down walls, hiring engineers, putting up a, an $800 beam. Hiring employees hiring before employees. we actually open so we could train them. We had this little garage out the out of the backside of our 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 cafe. The cafe is actually in a house that was converted into a makeshift commercial kitchen and there was it wasn't a place that was for retail really so Mm -hmm. we had to tear down a wall we had to put up a beam to open up the space Mm -hmm. and we literally had to build everything but the commercial kitchen that was in there and we also there's a garage in the back where there it was just a garage it was it was storage space yeah and being a farm like cool rooms are in high demand we can like for any growing farm there's never enough space to cool things down and keep things cool and so we had a we have a pretty small one here at the farm it's just kind of an intermediary space to cool things down while we're washing but we realized quickly realized with the growing demand and um the trajectory of growth for our business that we had to build a much larger good cool room a cool room that will only actually take a dollar a day to cool down. Mm -hmm. And so my, one of my best friends, Levi and I, uh, we started to build this cool room and it took us a few weeks to get that going. And we ended up with a, a 160 square feet of cool room space, but that was so valuable to Mm -hmm. the, to the, the progression of our business development. Absolutely. Well, not only for the farm side of things, but just for, the whole the whole concept the whole 
establishment because we we're not just a farm we're not just a restaurant like we are a farm a farm store a cafe restaurant and a bakery there's so much to it and so as soon as we opened and began this journey as restaurant owners mm-hmm. and serving breakfast and lunch all of a sudden this one which seemed it, it, there's a fridge on the back porch that seemed quite large when we first acquired the place mm-hmm. all of a sudden once we opened and we're also having to prepare food to serve to the people it was suddenly a very very small fridge and we didn't have the cool room done when no. we first opened and so we we're trying to find this balance between storing all of our food we were preparing to serve while also storing all the sourdough products because everything we were making was sourdough and that means it requires at least 24 hours of time before we're baking it and everything goes into the cooler overnight and so typically when I was doing the wholesale baking for that winter I would jam-pack that fridge as well as the little three-bay prep cooler we had in the kitchen. It would all be full. Barely fit. (laughs) Yeah, barely would fit, full of bread, bagels, English muffins, baguettes. And all of a sudden when we opened, we're like, oh, shit, we don't even have enough space. Like, where are we going to store all this product? So we had to limit our menu. We did. We limited the menu. We limited the amount of product. We're baking fresh daily Mm -hmm. uh, until that cool room was ready. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, space. We can breathe. There's Mm -hmm. room. There's room to store backup ingredients. We can actually have bins and bins of the greens from our farm and every other vegetable that we had at that time in June, late June when we finally got the cooler ready. Or it, was a, it was mid-June. Was it mid-June? Yeah, yeah. A few weeks after, a couple weeks after opening, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just another juggling act to make it all work. Yeah. In a space that was is very, very communal. Our cook has to share with the baker who has to share with the prep staff who shares with the farm store and there's just so many moving parts in there uh, to keep every, every I don't know, quadrant of sector, the business, yeah. every sector of the model running and mm-hmm. at its prime. Yeah, and it was like, you know, when, when you try and do too, th- too many things at once, sometimes you you can lose value and quality in each of the things you do. And and we did run into that a bit, Mm -hmm. I think. Like, yeah, it was just difficult. Like, we had the model in place, and we were telling ourselves no for some things that we wanted to do in the beginning. And and we got got to the the core, the very core of what we wanted to present to our customer base from day one. And what that was was a farm store, Mm -hmm. a, a, a sourdough bakery, in a place where you can get prepared meals that are very healthy for you and trying to fit all that together. Yeah. And some of, and some of it we were, you know, we're now a year in, but you know, in the beginning there was a lot of, a lot of, um, it was tumultuous really. We had to make hard choices over, <laughs> over what we could and could not afford to do like (laughs) we're 10 and a half months in we still don't have the crown molding up in the dining room and that's okay but you know we we didn't have 
investors backing us on this. Like this was our personal savings mm-hmm. from our previous careers as a geologist slash school teacher and a recruiter mm-hmm. to make this business happen. Yeah. Like to actually see it yeah. rise do we into want, reality. Do we want crown molding and to put up pretty pictures in our place where a customer is going to be eating? Or are we going to be buying strictly organic flour? Are we going to mm. invest in equipment for the back of house and for the uh, for the bakery? Yeah, it's like to we decided make it more efficient. We're like, you know what? We're not going to be showy. We're going to make the best food, and the people will understand. Mm-hmm. The people will be like, oh, it looks great in here, as they have said. Yeah. Even though when I'm we like, look what? at it, we're like, <laughs> but there's mold board like showing in the corners that it's disgusting they're like oh it's really nice in here it's so rustic and farm store like yes yes (laughs) and that's what we wanted we we instead of pretending to be who we are we decided to be who we are and produce the best food that we can Mm -hmm. and that was our focus and work within work within our means like Mm -hmm. we really took on a lot (laughs) we really took on a lot that year we did um but it was, so it was mid-June mm-hmm. and we had a couple weeks under our belt and did we fire our head cook before, wait, did <sighs> we fire our head cook before the hail hit or after? I think it was before. It was, it was after. So yeah, it was really a series of unfortunate events that made us really question every decision we had made mm-hmm. up to that point in time about both being farm owners, restaurant owners, the, the whole vision. So we opened... The cafe and farm store May 31st. Yep. We had a month under, not no, not even. We had two weeks under our belt. Things were chaos, but we were producing food. We, we were serving losing coffee. Money. We had vegetables. We weren't losing money. That's amazing for a new restaurant. Mm-hmm. And then mid-June. Late June. Mid-late yeah, June. We... Jay was at farmer's market on a Saturday. I was at the cafe. We had just lost our farm employee who quit early on us. And we were looking at the weather. Yeah. Neither of us were at the farm. Neither of us could be at the farm. And this insane storm rolled in. Yeah, I was I was at the farmer's market and it was just reaching the end of the market. And um, I was starting to pack up and. I got a, a notification on my phone from my from the NOAA weather app. That was the National Organic and Atmospheric National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association. They have this b- amazing app um, for your locale, and I got an update saying that there's hail coming. And I was like, "This is just that, this was just last year, right? Yeah, yeah. This is last summer. Okay. Yeah, this is 2022 now. Right. Yeah." We opened in 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We kind of missed that, missed that transition of buying the cafe in 2021 and then opening in 2022. No, we went through the wholesale and then we started. We were right. building stuff okay. and then Sorry. we opened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just didn't. Okay. Um, and so uh, I was like, oh fuck! And so I packed everything up as as quickly as possible and got out as quickly as possible because I could see the the cell, the, the storm cell, these. I mean, in the Bitterroot Valley, where the mountains are oriented north to south, and the hail and the heat generally come from the southwest. 
Um, the, there are these southwest flows that start to happen. And as the day heats up, there's convection that's that's happening and moisture is going up into the air. And there's like different layers of hot and cold um, uh, air pockets as, as, as precipitation descends down to the valley floor. And I just, I just had a sinking feeling in my heart when I started to drive back. The, the amount of rain that was coming down in Hamilton, Montana, which is 20 miles south of where our farm is in Stevensville, Montana, it, I had to slow down to like 30 miles an yeah. hour in this rainstorm. And I just had this sinking feeling yeah. in my heart. And I called you. I, yeah, I, I called you actually because I was at the cafe and this wind blew in and branches were coming down and it started hailing at the cafe. And I phoned you. I was like, where are you at? Do I need to rip back to the farm right now? And that's when you were like, I'm driving back, but I can only go this this fast, 30 or whatever it was. Like, mm-hmm. there's no point you trying to get home right now. Yeah, because I was eight miles out and mm-hmm. watching this just like it was only like eight miles wide this this cloud this storm cell but by the time i took a left off of the highway and went down our um our road going back to our house there was this smell i will never forget the smell of just like the richest pine sap that you've ever smelled in your life and I started to look at the ground and realize that there was hail and pine needles and broken branches everywhere across our our part of the valley. And I was like, well, I know exactly what I'm going to be driving back to. And it just makes sense. Like, I, there was just nothing I could do. And I didn't even look at the farm as I was driving up to the house to park my truck. I just knew what I was going to go down to. And I didn't even go down for the first 20 minutes when I was back at the house because I didn't want to confront the fact that $10,000 worth of crops that we had planted all spring long were pretty much destroyed. Mm -hmm. We ended up losing about $8,000 worth of crops Mm -hmm. um, with this hail event. And we, there's pictures on our, our Instagram. You can check out at, at Fern underscore co.mt yeah there's inch size hail and and that's not crazy big but for a uh, broccoli leaf or a potato leaf or all of the the tomatoes and eggplant and peppers and rhubarb that we were just about to harvest we had a bumper bumper crop of rhubarb coming in and it was all gone it was fucked it It was was like it was so insane it was like little bombs had gone off like things exploded it's not like they're oh there's some little holes in the broken leaves like there were no you would look down the head of a cabbage and it was like puking out in all directions like it exploded (laughs) we have a photo also on instagram uh, around that time mid-june last year of the iceberg lettuce of the iceberg oh that was the lettuce that's right yeah there's a whole shot straight through it like an inch wide hole straight through it yeah guess what people don't want to buy that <laughs> no i can't sell it yeah. because it would even if we washed Health it hazard. it would yeah because it's there's so many damaged leaves yeah. that it would just start it would just just start molding mm-hmm. really quickly and breaking down and yeah and at that point like you know we ha- we just had a family member pass my father mm-hmm. and we were starting this new venture and it was super stressful we were working a 60 to 80 hour weeks 
our farm employee just left and we came back to a, a farm that was essentially destroyed. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize it at, at the time, but our greenhouse plastic, <laughs> we haven't replaced it yet, but there's uh, hundreds of holes mm-hmm. in this greenhouse plastic, which yeah. isn't cheap, by the way. Yeah. Hey, I'll make a donation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but anyway, so yeah, the hailstorm of 2022, mm-hmm. uh, in tandem with opening the business and about one week later having to fire our head chef at the cafe and all of a sudden we were left with uh myself our one rock star employee Kristen Kristen, and one part-time employee that was there two to max three days per week and here I was alone <laughs> at the farm trying yep. to pick up the pieces and, and somehow get more seed in the ground and replant. So I couldn't help you guys. No. And we were trying to figure out like, okay, this sucks. This really sucks. But what can we do? How do we just keep moving forward? Because we, if we dwell on this too long, we're going to quit everything and sell and move south and live in a trailer forever. Um, and I want to, so I actually want to note one of our customers started a like what was it, a GoFundMe campaign oh, or yeah yeah so Olivia at Lily of the Valley so generously started a campaign to bring us financial support to help us cover some of the some costs of, of what we lost yeah. on the farm which is so amazing. I think it was, it was like 800 bucks. Yeah. Something like that. But that's but 800 like, more dollars than we that, have. It like br- literally brought us to tears because we we're like, oh my God, that's going to make such a difference. We can pay our mortgage this month. Like <laughs> it was so meaningful. Although like to many people, that's not all that much money. Um, but yeah, that was just so kind. And it was really amazing seeing the community come together for us so quickly after opening. Like, sure, our farm had been around for two years at that point. But um, yeah, it, that that was certainly a special moment. And that's what I, I really love about local agriculture and want to see more of this around this country is that a local community can get together and support the farmers to maintain their being on their ground, growing mm-hmm. food for them. Because the essence of a CSA, which is community spo- community supported agriculture, is that all of the customers prepay pro uh, prepay for produce for at least you know fifteen, eighteen, sometimes twenty six weeks of the year before the season even happens so that the farmer has enough finances to p- buy the seeds, to buy the, f- the farm supplies, to buy the fertilizer, to buy everything they need for the season. And what happened here is that one of our customers got together with her community and some and other people to just give us something to keep us going. Because at that point, like we were like, well, should we just f- stop farming? I mean, I, this is yeah, crazy. I like, remember sitting on the couch with a bottle of whiskey and being like, fuck this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Rick, by the way, for that bottle. Yeah. <laughs> and and that really, you know, it was it was one of the the um, the situations that kept us going. Absolutely. And I mean, we weren't the only farm affected. No. And the fact that people chose to help us out was so, so, so meaningful. It was. 
And it, I think it helped boost us and helped us think about, okay, what can we do? What can we keep doing? And so we're like, hey, we own a commercial kitchen. What can we do with all this damaged basil and cilantro? And, and rhubarb. You're like, here's the opportunity. Let's cut stuff up. Let's freeze it. Let's make pestos and sauces and salsas or whatever mm-hmm. and sell it. Mm-hmm. Because we can. We have the certification. We have the space to do so. Yep. And so I don't know how many pounds and pounds and pounds we took of damaged cilantro and lettuces and whatever else that we could take and clean and salvage and sell discounted as mm-hmm. Hail Mary crops <laughs> and uh, and uh, like the community was so amazing. We had people reaching out that only knew us through the cafe because they would come in frequently and buy breakfast since the day we opened and people were reaching out being like, Hey, I know nothing about farming, but if there's anything I can do to help put me to work Mm -hmm. and we didn't take anyone up on their offers, but just like the sentiment of that and the fact that people were had that willingness, like if it wasn't for that, that's what kept us going. It did. Yeah. They were showing us love when we didn't even know them. And and it Mm -hmm. really was the catalyst to keep us going. Mm -hmm. Not the catalyst, but the energy to keep us going. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, so we we kind of turned the season around a little bit and we had a really great late summer and Mm -hmm. fall crops. And fortunately, we still had our greenhouse standing. Mm -hmm. And we had a pretty good tomato year um, in um, in our greenhouse. And... We, we, I think we, no, we grew cover crop that, that fall in the greenhouse, but, um, but it ended up being a good year and the cafe slowly started to grow more and more. And we kept on having really consistent, um, days, which was really nice to see. And we were able to even hire, um, what was it? One more person. Well, we finally found a new cook. That's right. Yeah of course late Brooklyn. august and uh that just changed everything because all of a sudden we went from being two and a half employees back to having enough enough enough, enough barely. to it was still really long days and really really hard and taxing because you were still like you were still on the farm full time you were still managing the farmers market alone right through october and it just like <laughs> every week just felt like a push. Like we were open five days a week. And then finally at the end of farmer's market season, you were still harvesting a fair bit to bring mm-hmm. and sell through the cafe, which is great. Cause that's the model we're looking for. Like how long can we personally grow food to use in our cafe as well as sell in our farm store. Yeah. And, and uh, then yeah. finally, I guess, mid-November I'd say it started to slow down for you yeah just before Thanksgiving and Jay was able to join us in the cafe on a part-time basis and help out cooking ferment ferment, and and yeah yeah help us like really start to grow the menu um and just give the extra hands that we desperately needed to have a little bit of relief um it was great because I actually we didn't grow cover crop that into the 2021 fall and into early winter season because we actually decided to um, take the, the excuse me take the tomatoes out a little bit early in early September and get a fall crop of greens. Um, we even got some Napa cabbage grown before 
the Persephone period started, which is when plants um, pretty much go into dormancy when there's about 10 hours or less daylight a day. Um, plants enter this Persephone period where they just stop growing in the winter. And so winter growing isn't about growing. It's more about just keeping plants alive to harvest throughout the winter. And so we had just our first greenhouse in production where we I was still working all fall into the early winter on the second greenhouse to get it ready for this season today. And by Thanksgiving, we had sold out of all of our crops in the first greenhouse. And we started to, we decided to rather to do uh, some Thanksgiving pre-orders. <laughs> and we had, I think, eight or 10 different items that we were we were floored at how many people were actually willing to give us money for pre-orders for stuff that they had never tasted before. Because mm -hmm. a lot of those um, those items on the pre-order list um, that we were selling through through the sourdough were were stuff that we hadn't made. It's true. Yeah, we had an apple crumble, a pumpkin pie, mashed potatoes, a delicata squash salad, which we actually had done as a side salad. So. A lot of customers right. did get a taste of it, uh, but we had our sourdough dinner rolls, cheddar garlic biscuits, a lot of these things that like I knew how to make and I loved making, but I just couldn't doing it all alone. I couldn't like fit those things into the bakery schedule. So it was kind of a, a extra push to really when it came down to it, it was the extra push to make extra money. So that we as the owners could ourselves. allow ourselves to take two days off. When did we do that? And we did. So we worked Thanksgiving morning and then we took the rest of Thanksgiving off and took that Friday, Saturday off. We closed. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very valuable to have that little bit of time to uh, just spend with ourselves. And your mom was in town. So we had a nice family turkey dinner mm -hmm. and just got that time for ourselves to cook ourselves some food instead of cooking food for the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, we really, we really didn't have any time to, to, to more than more than the death of my father. Mm -mm. Like we, I never really had time off at the farm until really that Thanksgiving when yeah. my mom visited and yeah. we had that time together and it was finally like we finally were able to breathe for a second. Totally. And it was just a second because three weeks later we started another uh, Christmas pre-order where yeah. we decided to make how many pierogies? Oh my god! Hundreds and hundreds, hundreds. and hundreds of pierogies, um, which you know we had a butternut squash and smoked gouda, smoked gouda pierogi. We had a bacon, bacon cheddar potato. Yep. Mm -hmm. And um, it was well received again. It was yeah. really re well received again, and and you know in an, in the Bitterroot Valley, there's definitely there's definitely a uh, tourist aspect to it. Like we have our busy season um, in the summer, of course, because the Bitterroot River is a blue ribbon stream, uh, blue ribbon trout stream, and um, we get a lot of visitors during the summer, but uh, come. Thanksgiving and Christmas, things really died down. And we did see a, a bit of a drop in our, our average daily sales report. Um, but, you know, really, it didn't take that much of a dip. And we had really consistent sales, which is really exciting to see, because we didn't 
know what was going to be happening in the f- in the fall, winter, and spring. There was this this low level anxiety that both Ashley and me shared, where we just didn't we didn't know what was going to happen. We had this local um, this local food vision of trying to incorporate as many um, products and meats and goods um, produced and made here locally into our farm store but it was getting to a point where we started to see less and less and less products um less and less produce and and uh various other products that were made here and and we didn't know what it was going to look we didn't know where we were going to be mm-hmm. by the time january and february rolled around so this was our first winter yeah doing it totally and i mean we had this like the ideal vision the ideal vision being that everything we serve everything we produce and bake it's all organic and it's all local and it's just it is an ideal but it's unrealistic like at the end of the day we are young business owners and we need to create a profitable business and a profitable model so that we can share this model with other people and show how it can be feasible and to think that we could run an entire restaurant albeit just breakfast lunch but an entire restaurant and small very small farm store off of just local produce and just produce we produce was it it wasn't realistic it's an ideal it's an ideal yeah and i would love to see montana get there to reach a point where there is enough produce available. Um, we, for for the winter, as much as we could, we were buying storage crops through the Western Montana Growers Co-op. Uh, we had some of our own storage crops. But there reached a point that they were all sold out. And that's yeah. not to say that there aren't some farms somewhere that we could then find and buy direct from. But when you're running to three businesses and just needing to know you have a consistent supply it can be really challenging to depend only on local producers and as much as we would love to only use and support local producers we had to make the choice between like okay do we limit our menu to two items for the winter just so it's all local we got borscht (laughs) and we got potato leek soup yeah well not even because we ran like there were no more local leeks there were no more local potatoes we reached a point where we couldn't yeah and so we decided (laughs) after much uh consideration and some some stubbornness Mm -hmm. um we decided that we would use a an organic distributor in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And we decided just to try things out, like with a little inspiration by the farmer's stand up in Whitefish. Mm-hmm. We saw this model that they created in which it was, it was like uh, an organic grocer, retail produce, all, all sorts of things local, but also with some realism to it. Like yeah. they bring in citrus because guess what? People here want citrus. People want avocados. People want bananas. And that's okay. It is okay. And there's people in this community that choose not to eat those things because you can't get them locally. And great. Good for you. That's super awesome. Yeah. Uh, However, to have a viable business, uh, that doesn't always work. Mm -hmm. At least not now. At least not in your first few months 
of being open. And so we did. We brought in avocados. We brought in citrus. We brought in apples once apple season here was done. Mm -hmm. And it was great. It helped us grow our business because we were able to create new unique menu items in the winter that still incorporated organic produce. It allows us to allowed us to expand our farm store to offer more produce that could make it a one-stop shop and we still brought in local local honey eggs. tea coffee eggs dairy yeah of all sorts and it just helped us create a more like wholesome space that people could come shop in addition mm -hmm. to getting their bread and produce they could get breakfast they could get lunch they could grab eggs and milk and carry on their way mm -hmm. and it's great we have a few customers that come in once per week every day uh or uh, the same day every week and they stock up they get all their local goods yeah and they just pick and choose depending on what's available locally and that's so awesome but not everyone's willing to shop with that mindset yet so and and what i say to that is is you know if you go back to the roman era roman era there was being there was citrus and other crops that were not able to be grown in more northern climates being shipped to northern climates for consumption and the idea that you should only eat local food and nothing else has not really been a thing mm -hmm. for for millennia at this point right and yes you know if you if there's winters, if winter squash can be grown in your locale, you should be consuming and purchasing that product exclusively from your locale. Mm -hmm. But if avocados can't be grown in our part of the state, which is Western Montana, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be eating avocados. Right. We should be eating avocados. They're a great source of fat and protein. Mm -hmm. I think protein, certainly fat. And fiber. And fiber, yeah. It's like, it's okay. It's okay Absolutely. to eat crops that are not grown in your locale, but it's not okay to not eat crops that it can be grown in your locale. For sure. Like right now, for example, all of you out there that are still buying greens at the grocery stores, stop it. Stop. Just stop. Stop. <laughs> we have spinach. We have a beautiful lettuce mix. We have arugula. Radish. And we have... A uh, delicious mustard mix along with the radish mm -hmm. and the salad turnips. Um, all available, fresh, yeah. certified organic. It's all available in our storefront now. And so that's that's the and mindset. And cheaper, right? And cheaper than what you can get in the grocery store. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Especially for certified organic. And come on by, see our farm. You can look at our practices. We also have the stamp of approval. We've been inspected. Um but, oh, shoot. Sorry to distract you. Yeah. I was just saying, like, it's okay to eat crops that are not growing in your locale, but you should absolutely be eating the crops that are grown in your location when they are able to mm -hmm. be grown. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that's really it. Just, like, it, it is the season that the food's becoming available yeah. locally. So now's the time to reach out. To local farmers farmers market starts in a couple weeks and we'll be back there along with many other farmers uh, i know there are at least three farms right here in the bitterroot valley that are sending their greens up to whitefish montana now which is north near the canadian border 
Um, so like there's, there are local produce items available. And so if you want to try to eat somewhat seasonally, like the things that you want to try to purchase are the things that are available locally and that can be grown. And sure, if you live in California or Austin, Texas, or well, anywhere in Texas where you can access, uh, locally grown food much more easily for more months of the year. It's a little different, but like in Montana, it's like we're growing in 5A, 5B? Probably 5B now. 5B um, zone. And we have a very short growing season. And so there are farmers trying their best to grow and or harvest crops throughout the season, mm-hmm. all, all four seasons. But it's it's certainly a challenge, like, humans just aren't meant to grow food when it is negative 15 and there's snow covering the ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're doing the best we can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically we're getting to our present day with the, with the cafe and you know, this is our, this is our personal, personal story. And so um, yeah, we've, we've gotten to a point where now we have, we have four employees and they're, they're really doing a, a great job um, at the cafe. And we now have a little bit more time for Ashley um, because we hired this rock star baker. She has a little, Ashley has a little more time to spend on the podcast, start developing content and start may- maybe even potentially working on her nutrition consulting and working on the farm. And, you know, we're, even though last year was so, so hard for us, both personally and um, professionally, we are feeling really good about where we are now. And we still have so much and so much to do and so far to go mm-hmm. to reach our dreams and to make our dreams come true. Um, but we are, I'm feeling, I don't know about you, but I'm certainly feeling much more confident as a grower and much more confident in the team that you've led to create the sourdough yeah absolutely and we do have to give ourselves some credit and really like take some moments to look back on what we've accomplished and what we've endured because we're not even a year in yeah we're not even 12 months in to the opening of our cafe and farm Mm -hmm. store and I was talking recently with one of our our newest employee about that feeling when you start a new job and even if it's something that you have a little experience in, there's always this period of time where there's discomfort and the unknown and just like a certain level of uncertainty in what you're doing and just a little bit of that question of like, oh, am I going to figure this out? Like, am I, is this ever going to feel comfortable? And I was telling them how, like, when I look back into my career in my very early twenties as a geologist and geoscientist, having so many of those moments where I'm like, Oh my God, what am I doing? I don't know how to do this. I'm not qualified to do this. But then like looking back on it years later being like, Oh yeah, I got through that feeling. I reached this point where it was like, this ain't no thing. And it was just second nature to perform those duties and job tasks. And 
I really am starting to feel the same with our cafe and farm store venture. Less so the farm because I don't get to spend a lot of time at it. But to look back 10 months ago where we were with the cafe and farm (laughs) store and like pretty sure I was on the verge of a mental breakdown to now be at a point where today I came back to the farm for two hours just to do paperwork because I could because our employees had us covered and that's a really cool feeling to be mm-hmm. at this point now where it's like, wow, it isn't utter chaos every moment of every day. I'm not at the cafe from 5.30 a.m. until 8 p.m. Things are flowing. Things are functioning. Things have become efficient. Mm-hmm. And we did it. We like did. We are there. There's, of course, always so much room to grow and so much room for improvement. And we always have so many ideas on how we could be bigger and better in the sense that we are bringing more to the community, more, more of the things that we love and enjoy and want to see people enjoying with us through good food, health products, supplements, vitamins. And yeah, I just, we need to give ourselves credit for how far we have come to be at that place where I have that feeling like, huh, Remember when this was so hard that I thought I would never make it through to feeling comfortable being a restaurant owner. Mm-hmm. And now I'm there. Now I do. We are there. We're there. Yeah, that's that's interesting because so that wherever you are in life, you've made it there so far and you've made it through all of the pain. You've made it through all of the triumphs. You've made it through all the tribulations to get to the point where you are today. And if you don't have compassion for yourself and where you've gotten to today, how are you going to have confidence in yourself to where you're going to be getting tomorrow? If you, you know, there's always going to be problems for tomorrow. And, and when sometimes Ashley and I, when we're discussing problems that we have with our business or personal life, sometimes we table it and just say, and just say, well, that's a tomorrow problem. Let's not, Let's not create anxiety and stress ourselves down to the bones because we can't solve that problem today. It's like, let some problems be tomorrow's problems. It's like, yes, if you can solve the various issues that you're having in your life today that you can that you can actually solve in that day, but just don't stress yourself mm-hmm. over stuff that can wait a day a week a month a year or 10 years down the road and you might be surprised by what can wait that long yep for example one week into being open one of our employees suggested that we put out a bigger tip jar (laughs) 11 months and still haven't done it however carly before you're back we're gonna put out that bigger (laughs) tip jar But, you know, it really is eye-opening because I remember in those initial few weeks of opening, being like, oh, my God, yeah, we have to do all these things immediately. Immediately. Now, you know what? We're almost 11 months in, and some of those things haven't been done, Mm -hmm. and it's okay. It's okay. It's just fine. Just let that shut off your back. It's amazing how much you can let go, let go of, that you feel must be done immediately. And at the end of the day, if you are putting in the time and the energy and the love and giving yourself some compassion, you're going to be fine. 
your business is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And our customers really do see that. Like we have so many regulars that come in daily or weekly and come in for the conversation and to talk about health and farming and to enjoy our food and sit with their partner and just take a moment for themselves. And it's so beautiful to see because despite all the things we haven't yet gotten to and that we've put on hold because we don't have the energy or capacity to fulfill those things, people are still coming in and supporting us and loving their time that they spend in our space and all of our employees frequently talk about how like one of the best parts of the job of working for us at the sourdough is getting to interact with our customers because they all come in and leave with the biggest smiles on their face because they love that we are there and they love that we're part of the community and they love what we are doing and the food we're serving them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe this is a good way to just kind of s- finish this uh, this podcast up, but just for all of you entrepreneurs out there that are listening, you know, wake up in the morning with the question of what can I get accomplished today and go to bed with the question of what can I let go of from today? Mm-hmm. Because without that, I don't, I don't know how how I would be able to manage the stress and the anxiety of starting a bunch of businesses yeah. at once and figuring everything out. Yeah, absolutely. It really is about letting go sometimes, but it also is. just taking a chance, giving yourself a chance, believing in yourself, believing that you have that capability to start a business and to sell your visions and ideas to people that it will benefit Mm -hmm. and you just you'll never ever know if you don't take that chance and dive in and start somewhere like there's literally no way that you'll know if it can be a success and if your success is influencing a hundred people in your lifetime to be a better person good job done great work great work yeah all right. Well, I'd call it a call it a wrap. Call it a wrap. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends and family. It really just takes a couple of seconds. You can also leave us a review. We appreciate all forms of feedback. It certainly helps us to keep our egos in check. And if you appreciate our work and want to help us succeed, please consider contributing financially. You can do this by visiting patreon.com backslash the sourdough. That's patreon.com backslash the sour D-O-E. You can also follow us on Instagram at sourdough.mt.